imagine a wild fire. I don't know how many of you have ever seen a wild fire, but you might have seen fire on a lawn or a meadow or something like that. Since we lived most of our lives in places, on countryside, I have seen fires, I have seen paddy fields on fire. And then what happens there is that the fire rages and begins to consume all that it can. It spreads very wildly and then the, the flames of the fire licks everything that is dry and dries up everything that is green so that it can consume it. And what can we do in that situation? What you can do in that situation is just limited. You know, what people do usually is, instead of putting out the fire, they try to rescue what is not yet consumed. So, what I have seen people doing is that, farmers doing is that, they try to spray water or they try to make a ditch so that the, the advancing fire will not conquer or capture or consume what is green yet. In a similar way, there are pandemics. Pandemics are sickness which spreads not just first person, the swine, swine flu or whatever bird flu. And now there are many, many flus that are in, uh, I mean, going around. When it, once it part of the city, people fall sick and die. In the other part of the city, the people are healthy, not at all affected yet, but they may be affected because people are traveling to this way and that way. So what the health authority do is to make, make clear that what is going to be affected is salvaged, is rescued. So here is a contest between death and dying and the living. Some are dying or are consumed by the fire, burnt by the fire. Some are being consumed but some are still green or living. So the strategy then is to rescue, salvage what is still healthy and safe. Sometimes life of a community of faith like ours or like any congregation will reach such a crisis point where death begins to reign in the community through the members of the community and the only thing that a pastor or a bishop or an elder can do like the passage that was read to us is try to keep what is not affected yet alive and make them thrive back and fight death. This is what happened in Sardis. One of the ancient cities, the most ancient city out of the seven cities mentioned in chapter 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation where there was a church, a good church by the end of 1st century A.D. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the risen Lord, advises, counsels the elder or the person in charge 
who is called the angel of the church, to through John the apostle says, and to the verse one, and to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So what's going on in Sardis? What is going on in Sardis is very simple. It is a conflict of two contradictory realities. In Sardis we see the conflict of two realities which are in, which are contradictory. The reality is you are dead. But you have a reputation of being alive. But the reality is that though you claim or you have a name, you are famous as a church that is very alive and active, you are really actually in my sight, the Lord says, the Lord of the church says that you are dead. It's very difficult sometimes to understand, but it is not that, way, that difficult. All of us and all of us, all the churches, seems to, I'm saying, I'm not making an absolute, any absolute statement here, seems to live under a similar illusion. The reputation of being famous, but rotting inside. And the rot is trying to eat up completely what is thriving or what is alive. <laughs> like the fruits you buy sometimes, you know, you can't see anything from outside. It's shiny, it smells well, but inside the rot has started in, from the inside. And as you keep it outside, with the outside of fridge, it begins to decay from inside. Now many churches, you know, I mentioned this last week. When I visit some churches, you know, the church looks very active. They have regular Bible study, they have seminars, they have workshops, they have women's meeting, they have women's camp and this thing, that thing and all that. Seven days of the week, 30 days of the month, 365 days of the week, something is happening. Something is happening. The pastor is flying up and down and here and there and all sort of things are happening. Some pastors have a private jet also, which our church is going to budget next week, next year, I think. <laughs> now, what I'm trying to say is that the whole appearance, the facade of life but the reality of is death. In this situation Jesus says, I will come to that, that salvage what is alive. That is what you can do now. Now before we move into that, let's find out what is death here. The church is alive. In the sense, everybody is alive. It is not a graveyard. They are regular in the church. They are active in the church. The church has all the programs. 
HR should have or more than that, you know, and it's a very vibrant church and everything is fine. But why does Jesus say you are dead? You know, why, why would Jesus say that a church which has so much of money that is going into social activities and uh, churches own activities, investing here and there and there, why is this church dead? Once a pastor approached me and said, you should visit my church. So I said, I will visit. When I come to that city, I will visit your church. He said, you should preach in my church. So I said, I'll do that when I come to that city. But he described his church and he said, Pastor Paulson, we have a, we have a, a, a plant in Mauritius, we have a church in Bhutan, we have a church in Nepal, we have a church here and we have a church there. And we are doing this, we are doing that. And I said, my God, this is a church that I should visit. He convinced me. So from the description of the church, a church in Kerala having a church branch in Mauritius, my God, I can't afford to have it to go to a ticket for two days with my wife uh, to Mauritius. You know, it's a beautiful place to be, a tourist destination. Having a church in a tourist destination, my God, I would like to be pastor of that. At least I can go and have good fish and uh, enjoy the seaside. So I went and visited the church. I preached in that church. And the church was tiny. The church which has five branches all over the world is tiny. And I spoke to the members of the church and they said, from what I gathered from them is that they are, they are underfed. That they are not getting the word that some of them very sadly said. They are not fed. We don't get the word of God here. But they come because they have to come. The church looks to me and but I was not upset or angry after visiting that church which was absolutely contradicted contrary to the description of the church or image of the church that I got. I was not sad because the pastor took me to the one of the best restaurants after that. It made up. <coughs> Church, death, life is not activity. I want you to get that. Life or a living church is not, don't think activity of the church is the sign of life. But to understand that, we have to understand what is death. How does a church die? A church dies when the members die. A garden dies when the plants die. A sheephold dies when the sheep die. But what happens? What happens is that when the process of life is reversed, look at Romans 6.13. You know, what has happened when we came to know the Lord Jesus? Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Members means the body organs in this sense. But present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. So what happened when you came to the Lord Jesus? We are brought from death to life. So what happens when we die? The whole process of death to life is reversed 
it goes back to life to death slowly it's a reversal of the process of salvation to put it that way reversal of what happened at our redemption we are sanctified we are we, we are we, we are we commit ourselves to be holy to be sanctified and we surrender our members of our body to do what is right and pleasing before god when that process stops the death sets in i always remember a woman a godly woman i mean rather i should go she was a very pious lady christian lady a believer whom i knew very 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 intimately but i didn't know but i lost touch with her for a few months but something happened during those months when i was in touch with her that she started she was sick and she had some problems in her life so she said i am going to fast and she started fasting 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 she refused to take food and i said unless my son changes his bad habits i am not going to take any food and he started praying 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 and refusing to take food refusing to take medicine she finally died i was at the funeral and i was really really sad i thought she used to pray for me and give encouraging words and all that whenever i visited her but what happened is that you know, there's the, theo- the the theology of that is different i'll talk about unpack it later later but what happened is that should we pray that way or should we pray according to the will of god you know, that's the issue there and we'll talk about that later but what i'm saying is that when this woman <coughs> refused to take food refused to take medicine the process of death has set in and it has reached the climax when he breathed her last breath that's what happens now when members of when we have committed our life to jesus and we are not able to live that life death actually like a wild fire attacking a green at the amazon forest like the wild fire consuming the forest of amazon which is going on right now or a pandemic killing people of from one end of the city to the other end the church the congregation dies that's what happened here see look at all the other churches the seven churches in in uh, this book here in this church there is no external threat no threat no the romans are not against it there is not going to be any imprisonment there is not going to be any op- uh, persecution and now the other church we uh, so uh, look at looked at last week thyatira there is no internal problems also or pergamum there is no false heresy there is no prophetess teaching wrong teachings there there is no immorality there is no idolatry there is no conflict or problems there the problem only problem is lifelessness which otherwise means death it is the false complacency that is that is said that we are all right we are fine we have all the activities now we have all the we have great budget we have everything that we need you know when i go to some churches especially the ones in us 
No, they have psychedelic lights and a whole sort of things. You know, and amazing. I went to a church and they use the YMCA as, <coughs> I'm not criticizing American churches, I'm saying they're talking about the reality. If I have fun, I will also be tempted to do that. To have laser lights here and to give you an experience of God. You know, but we don't have money. That is why we are righteous, actually. <laughs> I'm saying we will be tempted to do such things. Just give a create a false sense of complacency that we are all right. How does death set in? Death sets in. The process of dying begins in two ways. Let's read. The fun one first one is sin. That's what we saw in Romans 6.13 right now. Do not commit your members as instruments of unrighteousness. But commit them as instruments of righteousness. That is the sign of life. Now look at 1 John 5.16. Now <clears throat> He talks about, let me read it to you. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will forgive him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin. There is sin. John says, and this is a very problematic passage. People debate over it. There's a lot of arguments about it. What is this sin? There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray about it. Let's not go into the debates about it. Here is one thing. The one thing is that there is sin that leads to death. Irrevocable sin. Sins whose consequences are irrevocable. Cannot be revoked. So what happens when that sin happens? That happens, that person is cut off from God and God's people. I am trying to make it very simple and practical and for the purpose of this particular passage. This sin is a sin that cuts people off from the community, from the presence of God and they die outside the community. Now, as someone who loves gardening, weekly or at least once in a month or uh, and so I have to weed things. Weed. Weeding things means things that I don't want grow in the pot or in the ground. I have to take these things and throw them. All that I need to do is just pluck them and throw them. They will die on their own because they are disconnected from the community. They are disconnected from the soil. They are disconnected from the nutrition and exposed to the scorching sun, that's enough. They will die. The sin that to death, that is sin leading to death, is something that disconnects us from God so that you die. What are the sins that fall into that category? I don't know. Nobody knows. And somebody pretend to know. They are wrong. But we are just warned that there is serious sin that can cut us off. And secondly, the lovelessness. 
Now let's look in 1st John 3.14. We know, 1st John 3.14, we know that we have passed out of death into love. Because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So what is the sign of life? What is the sign of life? Sign of life is loving each other in the community. In the community of faith. In the community of faith, if you love your other members, that is the sign of life. Having no life, having no love, having no affection is the sign of death. Last week in the, in the, in the cottage meetings, we had this discussion about fostering fellowship among ourselves. And that led to the discussion that I said in that meeting, I will talk about it more on next sermon. So I said, how can we foster relationship in our church? Caring relationship. Loving relationship. I am glad that in the beginning of the service, someone mentioned that. She said that I am so pleased with the connectivity within the community. But I am glad, I am very happy with that. That there is some connectivity. People going to help others, spending their time, their money for others. No, that is the connectivity is there. But it, we should not be happy or satisfied and settled with that limited connectivity that is present now. But we should try to see that this connectivity spreads and the whole church is connected. The community is connected. So when I, again going back to my reputation as a, a gardener, not a gardener, Mari, yeah. See, sometimes when I take the plants out of the pot, I see the roots. You know, the redwood trees, which you haven't seen, I have seen. This goes only in North America. You know, they, are, they don't have deep roots. The redwood trees are huge trees. They don't have deep roots. They have shallow roots. But the redwood trees won't fall easily. Now, they have been there for centuries. They are very, very old, old trees. They live long, very long. But the secret of their life is in the roots. Because though they cannot run their roots deep, like teak or other trees or eucalyptus that we know, they run their uh, uh, tree, uh, the, the roots deep to the aquifers and draw water from there. But redwood trees are helpless trees. They don't have deep roots. But they've been centuries old now. Many are even thousand millennia old. But you know the secret of those trees? That trees, the redwood trees will, they connect the roots. Every tree supports another tree. So they are independent trees. Under the ground, they have a network of roots which supports, one tree supports more than one tree. And they support each other. You Google for those who are, those who worship Google, Google and find out a cross section of the roots of the redwood tree. You will find that. The beautiful pictures of that. See, they, they are interconnected. That is how a church thrives, brothers and sisters. We thrive by connecting ourselves. Anyone who tries to be isolated, 
anyone think that i am independent i don't need anyone else i don't want anyone else those people will die they will die and they will decay the whole church as well now look at some of the congregations some of the churches which have vanished some do exist you know <clears throat> in the western country something that we don't have is that when a person die they don't normally those who can afford it don't bring the dead body home they take it to a funeral home and there are what is it called uh, the funeral directors you know from that onwards that moment onwards it is their job the funeral director they, they will even the last minute they will be directing the funeral so what happens is that when i had a, a friend of mine died it seems he committed suicide and uh, part of his body was burned as well and uh, i went for the viewing and the funeral home people have done a, such a beautiful work on his makeup on his face you can't see the burnt marks of the you see i was prepared to see that but two or three viewings i went for that before we buried that body of this young man who was then about 26 years old or less than that you know the funeral home has done a tremendous work on his body there is no strangle marks and his body was partially burned it, they say it's a murder or suicide it's still being debated doesn't matter but there are people here in the church people like me pastors and bishops and elders who can dress up a church in such a way that looks all right and beautiful and alive and smiling and all that that's the craft that many people are specializing in but life is in how a community members love so many congregations have come they died closed down but some continue dead and well made up there are both realities there is hatred there is fighting there is this and that and all that and people like that death also one day i visited a family and they said that the man said oh my church is we have a lot of politics we have a lot of split we have a lot of divisions oh why an honest admission and he said still i want to be there because i i want to be part of the division that's what he told me i said what what is this what a nonsense he is talking about i thought he is going to say i am quitting now he is very comfortable with that the death the smell of death but we should be very careful brothers and sisters we don't want to exist as a loveless disconnected body of people that's all that i am trying to say all that i am trying to say is that we should be connected with bonds of love the song that we usually sing at the end of the service let there be love why do we pray because we still don't have enough love i really want to thank god and thank the people who are working in this church to make connections with others now and then i see visible expressions praise god for that visible expressions of this interconnectedness but i would like to see more of it not me the lord 
would like the Lord of the church would like to see really everybody who belongs to this congregation sharing their life together. One or two practical suggestions. Ask yourself this question. Are you really connected in the church? Are you drawing life? Inspiration from another member of this church? Are you contributing anything to the life of the church? Two or three or four families are not in the church today. Ezekiel's job is that record this and make them hear this also. What have you done to enrich the life of your brothers and sisters? Just ask yourself. What have you done since you were part of this church to enrich first or to draw second? Both has to be balanced. The life of this church. Ask yourself. Find an answer. If you haven't done anything, you are like that weed that grows in a plant which is thrown away. Too much of privacy. Too much of... The problem with the modern church is anonymity. That if you want to join a big church, why churches grow? Very... Because when the church is big, it gets bigger, you know. The rest of the people who join is people who want to hide behind in the crowd. That is why churches grow after a critical mass of 70 or 75 or 100. When you have a reputation of a big church or good church, a lot of people join. Because nobody will notice whether they came every Sunday or not. Nobody will notice if they have paid their tithe or offerings. Nobody will pay uh, notice. So they want to hide behind, inside a big church because they don't want to be connected. Uh, tomorrow or next Sunday I will talk about this concept of the church here. We have a community who are interconnected. We have a congregation, people who worship with the community. But I am talking about the community here. The people of faith, believing community. Now, let me move on from there. The lovelessness and the sin that sets in. Sometimes we are so... See, the sin I want to talk about. I faced this situation recent, in the recent past. Sin of two people, which created big problem for their lives and the community. Cut off from the community by their own sins, but not by anybody's sins. That is what... Lack of love for each other and definitely for the love of God. Because we cannot love each other unless we love God. Now this comes with dire consequences. Dire consequences. First of all, what are one consequence is the punishment for this or the threat. And the second one or I should say the first one is the reward. Well, let me start the other way. 3.5 Chapter 3.5 The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. <coughs> and I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. The reward is the reward is the one who resists 
the death, the, the one who resists death and opts to live and thrive in the community, loving each other and enriching each other's life. By enriching each other's life. Now going back to the analogy, metaphor of the forest. Every tree try to protect the another tree. Not only by the network of roots, but also providing shade for it. Sometimes holding each other's branches. But the problem is when that fails, the word of God says, sorry, when that happens, everyone who contribute to that unity and the, the vitality of the congregation, Jesus says, I will dress him. Now look at that verse one more time. And people, and they walk, will walk with me in white for they are worthy. They will walk with me in white. The people in Sardis knew what Jesus is talking about. The references Jesus is making. But we may not know unless there is an explanation. Jesus is referring to a Roman triumphal possession. The Romans were at war with all the neighboring countries, conquering, expanding their empire. So this was a usual scene when the commanders who led armies, the Roman armies against the enemies or the countries that they wanted to attach to the Roman Empire will come back and there will be a big reception for them, a triumphal procession. So the, when people, when these soldiers come with the captives and the booty from these lands, distant lands which they have conquered, you know, the triumphal procession, the people will be dressed in white on both sides of the road. They will stand and they will be accompanying them in white robes. That is what Jesus says now. Jesus says that those who conquer, they will be robed, they will be dressed in white garments with me. That is, in when Jesus returns, these people, the people who have are not dead, those who have resisted the, the, the advance of death and decay, and are white, has contributed the vibrance and the vitality of the community and to their own life, they will be dressed standing on both sides of the road and join the Lord Jesus Christ when he returns to earth. That's the reward. Joining the triumphal entry. When the Lord comes, people on the side, the both sides of the road, they join him and they join the procession, accompanying him in white. But what about those who do not do that? Their life will be, their names will be removed from the book of life. The book of life is a, the book of the list of the citizens. Or you can say the, all those who have an Aadhaar card in heaven. So Jesus says, those, I have written the names of these people. Philippians chapter 4, 3 says, Our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. From where we wait for a savior to come. We are waiting for the savior to come from heaven. Our citizenship is really in heaven. 
But Jesus says, those who do not do conquer, those who do not resist it, I will blot their name out of the citizen, cit, book of life. That means the citizens register, I will blot them out. But those who conquer, they will join the triumphal procession. Now, the final part of the, my sermon today is this. So what are we supposed to do? To one, just one verse. Verse 3. It says, Remember then, now all these have some remedies, some solutions. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you not, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. In an hour you will not know and, and at what hour I will come against you. In verse 2 it says, wake up. Isn't it? Wake up. If you don't wake up, then what will happen? Okay, verse, verse uh, 1. Okay, um, so I'm sorry about that, that reference. Verse 3, that's what we said. Now you have to wake up. Why wake up? Because if you are not, if you are not awake, I will come in an unexpected time as the thief comes and I will carry out the judgment. When the Lord Jesus speaks this way to the church, there's a history behind it as well. The city of Sardis was the most impregnable, formidable city in ancient history. Because it had a natural protection of hills around it, which actually ran up to 1500 feet. In addition to the fortress, the fortifications. 15 steep hills of 1500 feet high. So nobody could ever enter that city. It was such so the citizens lived in a sense in, in a with a with a sense of complacency, thinking that everything is fine, no enemy will ever enter our city. To enter the city, they have to climb over these fifteen hundred feet. So, but the history also records that at least twice this city was conquered. At least twice. Once in 6th century by the per Cyrus the Persian and again in the 2nd century by the Greek king called Antiochus Epiphanes. When did they conquer it? Cyrus besieged the city for 14 days. But he did not send his he did not do anything. But all that he had to do is to fight, make when the citizens of Sardis, the soldiers and commanders of Sardis, in the sense of complacency and sense of safety, they were sleeping. When they were sleeping, a Persian soldier climbed, a good rock climber, climbed over this 1500 feet hill and entered. And other soldiers followed suit. The whole Persian army entered 
inside, got inside the city of Sardis, fortified, naturally protected city. The only thing, they were sleeping. They woke up only when they heard the cry of their own men and women being slaughtered. But it was too late. The, 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 the Lord writes, tells the church in Sardis, learn a lesson from the history of the city. Wake up. We don't know when the thief is going to come. Wake up and then hold fast. Hold fast to the gospel tradition that you heard. You do three things. Wake up, hold fast, and repent. Keep what I have entrusted to you. The gospel I have entrusted to you. Get back to it. Hold fast to it. And be on your, be, be on your alert, on your guard, that you don't fall to the enemy advance. Now when I preach this from this passage, I just want to say this, that probably you may say that nothing wrong is going on in our church. Probably yes. But that doesn't mean nothing, it may be safe always. You know, as a leader of the congregation, my duty is to make sure that the will of God about this congregation happens. I, one of my favorite pastors is Pastor Simbala of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church in New York. I never seen him, I never been to Brooklyn Church. I, I listen to his podcast. I listen to his podcast for various reasons. One is, he, he's, he preaches very simple sermons. And uh, his sermons are not very scholarly. His sermons are not very deeply exegetical or anything like that. It's absolutely simple. And tremendously short. So I, I have podcasts and uh, I listen to that podcast. And by the way, I want to also mention that Sermons preached in our church is also available on podcasts. You have if you have iTunes or um, or Google Podcasts, you can find us on Google Podcasts. So when you are you can if you with the basic uh, mobile connectivity data package, you can listen to our podcast. Uh, the sermons preached here with the audio um, at your break and all that you want to see. I listen to him for wisdom and. Uh, the simple the lessons that he has learned from he's maybe older than me definitely and uh, once he said he's, he's a very he's a very unique he's an outlier in, among the pastors modern pastors he said one thing he said why should I have a plan for my church vision for my church so people are saying you should have a vision for your church you should draw your plans you should have a budget you have this thing action plans and all that and they are trying to tell us that run your church like any other business. Which I refuse to do. That is where I myself and Simbala, Pastor Simbala agree. And he said this statement which really shocked me. Opened my eyes. 
And he said, why should I have a vision for my church? For this church? I refuse to have a vision for this church. He said, because this is not my church. Isn't it true? This belongs to God. This belongs to Jesus Christ. This is the church of Jesus Christ. And he will have a vision. I'm just elaborating his uh, statement. Okay. He didn't say all this. Elaborating the statement. Why should I have, why should Pastor Paulson have a vision for the community of the redeemed? It's not his. It's not mine. It's Jesus's. So my job is to make sure that his vision is fulfilled among us. Nothing more than that. Anything more than that is blasphemy. Anything more than that is heresy, hypocrisy. Isn't it? Ego. No, he opened my eyes. Pastor Simbala, through that sermon, he opened my eyes. Why should I have a vision for this church? God has a vision for this church. And my job is to discover that. Preaching from this message to Sardis, I think I have discovered Jesus' vision for us that we should fight decay. We should together fight death. We should together fight rottenness among us. How? By salvaging what is about to die. But saving what is about to die. That is, the fire doesn't conquer. The fire doesn't consume what is remaining alive. But I will add to that, but bringing life back to all that is dead. Now, I want to conclude with this challenge. Today, as I close, I want to leave with this challenge. What is your part and what is my part in making this church, this congregation, a thriving, living community, alive to God? Are you part of us or are you away from us? Are you too independent? It is your choice. It is your choice. Or is this church or the church family your priority? Or something else is your priority? Where will you draw life from? Where will you, whom will you, what will you enrich? Is there, are you enriching someone, something? Or are you simply distanced and dying in, drying up and dying in isolation? Let me tell you one thing. There is a lot of life here. Be part of it. Amen. God bless you all.